at the book of Luke, and last week, Stanley reminded us powerfully of the faithfulness of God, uh, how the, his faithfulness to Mary, his faithfulness to his people, and faithfulness is a theme that we also find in our passage today. In verse 54, um, Jessica Cannell read this verse earlier, and in verse 54 it says, and he Speaking of God, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And we, we give thanks to God that he is a God who does not forget. He's a God who delights in making promises, um, and he's a God who delights in keeping those promises. Our God is a God who never changes, so his word never changes. The, wor- the word that we sung earlier was immutable. We have a God who's immutable. He never changes his plans never change. His purposes, His promise, they never change. And so we delight in that this morning and we cling to that. Um, and so when we experience and see the faithfulness of God to fulfill His promises, what should our response be? And that's what our passage, I believe, is about today. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 39. And if you don't have your Bibles, the words, as always, are going to be behind me on the screen. Verse 39, Luke writes, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. And that is the word of the Lord. The passage that we just read is all about our proper response to God visiting his people and God redeeming them. Mary shows this. In the first two lines of her song, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Our first response to God when we experience His goodness, His faithfulness, when He acts in our lives, our first response should be worship. The word Mary uses here is magnify, from the Greek word that means to make great. And it's even helpful to look at what that word means in our English language. We can use the word magnify in really two ways different ways. One is like how we use a telescope. I remember science class growing up. I was always terrible at it. I hated test days, but I loved lab days 
They were fun. Wasn't good at it either, but I loved it. And you get to look in these microscopes to see tiny little organisms, tiny little cells, plant cells, these tiny little things. But what does that, microsc that tele microscope do? It makes them appear bigger than what they actually are. And what Mary is saying here when she's magnifying God, I don't believe that she's saying she wants to make God appear bigger than what he actually is. Right? Um, you can't do that. Our God is infinite. He's bigger than what we could ever imagine or think. Right? It goes without saying that Mary is not using magnify in this way. So the second way that we use this term is to um, make something bigger or appear as big as it really is. I remember being in second grade when our school invited all the parents and family, all the kids out to this big open field in East Texas, away from all the city lights. Um, it was just a big clear field and it was late at night, probably nine o'clock at night. You could see the stars shining just really bright. And in the middle of the field, one of the teachers had brought a telescope. And this was the whole purpose why we were all invited out. And as we got to take turns looking in the microscope, telescope, you can see these gorgeous stars, these stars that are millions of times bigger than our Earth, right? We can't, we can't fathom that. We can't, um, it, the telescope doesn't represent how big they are, but it helps us a little bit more see how big they really are. We can see them a little bit more clearly. We can understand a little bit more what they look like. And I believe this is what Mary is helping us to do is she's magnifying God She's helping us see just how great he is. Again, our God is infinite. We can't ever fully understand with our finite minds how big, how glorious our God is, but we can come a little bit to see just how great he is by God's mercy and by his spirit. Okay? In our role as Christians, those who know this God, our role here on earth is to be like telescopes, to help the world around us see what our God is like, how big and how glorious he is. We do this through our praise of God like Mary. We do this through our actions, the way that we live our lives. We want others to see and know our God. And so, as I've already said, how does Mary go about magnifying God? She does so by drawing attention to God while praising Him as her Lord and as her Savior. This portion of Scripture, the second half of what we just read, is known as the Magnificat, or Mary's Prayer. Mary's song. And while Scripture doesn't tell us that Mary broke out into a song in front of Elizabeth like a musical, maybe she did. doesn't tell us. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, she, we do know that she did break out in a prayer, lifting up these words to God in the presence of Elizabeth. And while this might seem odd, Paul, the Apostle Paul, tells us that this should be normative for us as Christians to erupt in praise talking about the goodness of our God. We see this in Ephesians 5, where Paul tells us that as we are filled with the Spirit, we should address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with our hearts. Making melody with our hearts and to the Lord. Right? Christians are to address one another with the praises of God. And earlier on in the text, we see that even Elizabeth, in the presence of Mary, what does she do when she's filled with the Holy Spirit? She makes this profession of faith. This is the first confession of faith as Jesus, as Lord, that we see in Scripture. Some might think it's Peter. It's actually, it's actually Elizabeth. In verse 42, 
She says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this to me? Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord. She makes this incredible confession of faith that Jesus is Lord. And that should be our confession of faith as well. We seek to magnify God. But she does so by being filled with the Spirit, the Bible says. Now first off, when we we know that all born-again Christians are given the Holy Spirit. We see this in Romans 8. We see it in Galatians 4. They speak of how the Holy Spirit is sent into our hearts to um, allow us to cry out to God as Abba, Father. Right? He's our Father. God's Holy Spirit testifies to that in our hearts. If you're a Christian this morning, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So what does Paul mean then when he tells us to be filled with the Spirit? I believe it's often being filled with the Holy Spirit is equated with some of the more miraculous gifts, like speaking in tongues. You might have heard a church describe itself as spirit-filled. There are accounts in Acts of people who were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in tongues, also translated as human languages. They began proclaiming the mighty works of God, it says in Acts 2. And other people around them began hearing in their own language the gospel. That's miraculous. Right? But there are other times in Scripture, and the emphasis here, when, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, um, it is evident in the way that we live our lives for God. It's evident in our praise. It's evident in our worship. Just like we just saw in Ephesians 5, being filled with the Holy Spirit leads to worship. And then if we back up a little bit in verse 5, right before it tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul says in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but to be filled with the Spirit. When you, are, when you are drunk with wine, you're under the influence of alcohol. You don't have the same control over your mental or physical faculties. You're under the influence of something else. I believe this gives us insight on what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul is telling us to come under the Spirit's influence. In Galatians 5, says to keep in step with the Spirit or to yield to the Spirit. We are to submit to His influence and we are to submit to God's revealed will for us in Scripture. And it's God's will for us that we would be a God-magnifying people. Magnifying God, too, and don't miss this. Magnifying God is a very supernatural thing. It's not our natural response um, to begin worshiping God. Why is that? Because we're sinners. We're broken people. We are. We don't recognize God as good in our sinfulness originally. We need the Holy Spirit to come and do this in us. When when God does send His Holy Spirit in us to recognize Him as good and beautiful, this leads to worship. It leads to worship, and it also leads us to do so even publicly at times. That might be a little awkward for you, but it does Verse 19, this is a command where Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And we see Mary doing this. We see Mary making melody to the Lord in her heart to God before Elizabeth. She says, my soul magnifies God. She's worshiping God with her whole being too, not just with her mouth, but with her heart. She is engaged in this. She believes it. Worshiping with her whole being. And this should be normal for us 
We get to praise God in front of others. Again, not necessarily in song. That could be really cool if it works for you. But in our conversations, are we talking about the goodness of God in our conversations? Rejoicing together and encouraging each other, reminding each other of the goodness of Jesus. It should take place in our personal relationships. And we see this evident, evident in this passage When we begin reading, we see Mary, who went with haste, the scripture says, to see her dear cousin and friend, Elizabeth. Mary knew because Gabriel told her that Elizabeth was pregnant. Elizabeth didn't know that Mary was pregnant, but Mary goes with haste to go and celebrate with her cousin and to rejoice in God's goodness together. That's God's will for us to do that as well. And we need to build each other up by being filled with the Spirit, coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit and speaking gospel truths into each other's lives. One thing we need to be on guard against too is we speak of God's goodness, of His faithfulness. We need to be on guard against talking about God for the purpose of drawing attention to ourselves as the Pharisees did. But as we continue, we see this in Mary doing this faithfully. She, she does this with humility on display. She said she magnified, this is an important point here, that's that magnifying God requires humbling ourselves. And we see this humility um, in in Mary's prayer. She recognizes what God has done for her. And she's not, in this prayer, she's not saying that she has any special privilege that would lead us to believe we should pray to her and ask her to help us merit more of God's favor. Some might believe that. Scripture doesn't tell us that, and it's contrary to the way that we relate to God. It's contrary to the gospel to see Mary that way. Mary's not divine. She's an ordinary person like you and me. But God chose her, though, to be the mother of Jesus, which is why she's considered blessed and will be called blessed throughout all generations. But again, she's not worthy of our praises, nor is she saying she is. She's not sinless. Only Jesus is sinless. Mary's not our mediator. She cannot save or hear our prayers. She herself knew that salvation only came through faith in Jesus. And like Mary, sorry, like Elizabeth, she makes the same confession. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She magnifies God by showing his goodness and that he did not have to save his people. Did you know that? God would have been just if he didn't save us. That's something difficult to wrap our minds around. God still could have been good and not save us because of our sinfulness. Right? We don't deserve this. It's mercy that God entered into creation and chose to save us. God has remembered his people. God remembered the covenant, the promise that he made with Israel. He did not forget them but remained faithful to them even when they remained unfaithful to him. He remembered his promises. And we see Mary recount this. We need to realize that we are recipients of all these blessings that Mary has talked about. We're recipients of all these blessings through faith in him. It's not our own merit. We didn't earn this. In Psalm 103, we are told to forget not the benefits of God. We're, We're really prone to do this. We're really prone to slip into this mindset of, man, we earned this. Mary's prayer reminds us the contrary. 
this is all mercy. This is all mercy. And she gives all the credit to God. She directs all of our attention to God. In verse 51, she says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The reality is we deserve to be dealt. This is the way that we deserve to be dealt with, just as God's enemies here are. To be dethroned, to be sent away hungry. We must humble ourselves before God. In James 4, 6-7, James says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So again, magnifying God requires humility. If you choose to magnify your own name, make much, as, make much of yourself, Scripture tells us we're an enemy of God, and we will be brought low. But if we humble ourselves, if we turn from our wickedness, if we repent and we turn to Christ, Scripture tells us we have a Savior whose mercy is sufficient for us. God's mercy, as Mary says, is for those who fear Him. And salvation is only for those who share the same confession, that Jesus is Lord. And then finally, notice here that Mary is magnifying God with the confidence that she has in Him. Notice that the things that she says about God in this prayer, they're in the past tense, the Greek term that the aorist tense, she says he has shown strength. He has brought down the mighty from their throne. He has helped his servant Israel. She's saying this in the past tense while looking ahead to what Christ is going to do. That's pretty cool. Why? These are things that God will do, but Mary is so confident that he will do them that she considers them already done. When we receive a promise from God, we can consider it done. We can have confidence in it. Why? Because our God is trustworthy. Our God is faithful. God is unchanging, unwavering. And we magnify God when we declare Him to be so. When we declare Him to be trustworthy and faithful, which is what Mary has done. This is the God who has remembered His mercy towards Israel. He's remembered the promise that He has made to them. And so just as we respond to God in worship, we also see in the second line of Mary's song that we should respond with joy. This is the second line, right? She says, And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. To rejoice in something means that we're finding joy in it. We rejoice in good news, not bad news. We rejoice when we learn of a pregnancy or um, a job. Somebody gets a new job. We rejoice when we hear that somebody got engaged. It's good news. And it's good news that our God has come to us. Emmanuel, God with us, is what that name for God means. He's come near. And Mary is given joy. She's joyful that God has remembered her and given her a son. And her, not just any son, but the Son of God, her Savior. And when we look at Scripture, we not only find that worship of God is brought about by the Holy Spirit, we also see that joy in God is spirit wrought. It's brought about by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us joy. Our joy as Christians is a supernatural joy. Supernatural. 
Just as God commands us in Scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit that leads to worship, He also commands us to be joyful. We see this in Philippians, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But let's not forget, Mary was not the only one who expresses joy in this passage either. We see that John, the unborn child, expresses joy. Um, Going back to the passage that Shannon preached two weeks ago in Luke 1, verse 15, it says in the prophecy of John, Gabriel says, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Many scholars have taken this to mean that John was unlike any other person, in that it appears he was given the Holy Spirit before he was even born. It appears he already had a regenerate heart, given new life. We see that John was clearly chosen before he was even born to be the forerunner of Jesus. That's what, the, that's what Gabriel tells us. When we, now, when we think about John being filled with the Holy Spirit, I want us to not get confused about the difference between this and Jesus being born sinless. John, although it appears he was given the Holy Spirit prior to birth, that doesn't mean he wasn't sinless. When you and I, when we receive the Holy Spirit, that's true of all of us as Christians. Does that mean we don't sin? No, it doesn't, but it means we have been made new. We've been given the Holy Spirit, and we see that John, miraculously, I don't understand it, how a baby who's been in his mother's womb for six months without the mental, capa- the mental capacity to, to recognize Jesus as the Lord, God miraculously gives him the ability, and this is a genuine joy. It wasn't just a coincidence that John leaped for joy. We see this in Scripture. He leaped for joy um, when he came next to Jesus in Mary's womb. One thing that I want to say to this point as we think about joy, the importance of joy, God is not glorified or magnified in us merely when we believe certain things about God or merely when we say certain right things about Him. We've talked about this many times in our youth ministry. The devil knows the same facts that we do about God. He knows that Jesus is Lord. But as I've heard John Piper say, the problem is not that the devil hates, or not that the devil doesn't know who Jesus is. It's that the devil hates what he knows about Jesus. He doesn't find joy in it. That's why joy is a very important aspect of saving faith. God is after our hearts. Our right belief in God, right understanding, is not going to save us. And so I. Now, I want to, in doing this, I'm not saying that our faith in God is not saved. What I'm trying to do is redefine Christian faith to imply what our response is to God. Do we find joy in this good news? This is, again, this is brought about by the Holy Spirit. Around Christmas time, too, it's so, it's so easy for us as Christians to confuse what it is that's bringing us joy around this time of year. We can be so distracted by gifts. We can be distracted by spending time with family, all of our fun Christmas traditions, our pumpkin spice lattes and festive Starbucks cups. There's a lot of, a lot of good things we can get excited about. 
and enjoy maybe a bonus check that you expect around this time every year. Okay? All these things are good things. There's nothing sinful about these things. But is it joy in those things that marks us this time of year? Are we finding joy more in those things, those gifts, more than the joy giver himself, Jesus, the gift giver? If we return to Mary's song, she says this. She says, God has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. I do not think she means that salvation is not for the rich, that the rich can't be saved, but rather for those who are seeking satisfaction and joy in their riches rather than Christ. Now, of course, there is a warning here in America. I don't think we know just how wealthy we are. How many of us have ever had to worry about where food where our food was going to come from, where we're going to sleep at night. Don't mean to offend you if you have. But here in America, we are incredibly blessed, which is from God. Okay? It's from God. But we need to be careful whether or not we're putting more trust in our possessions and finding more joy in our possessions rather than finding joy in God. In whom or what are we seeking satisfaction and joy? Is it God or is it our wealth? Is it God or family? God or achievements? God or that new house? God or that new grill? None of these things are bad, but they can do nothing for us in light of eternity. We can't take them with us. And two, they can't even give us satisfaction here on earth. Okay? The only thing that can give us true joy is God. And if it's if we are finding our joy, if we are pursuing joy in anything other than God, God is going to send us away empty. So I believe Mary is saying here, that's going to send us away empty. But if we are seeking joy in God, God will fill our hungry hearts. This is Mary's experience. In response to what God has done for her, what he's doing in her life, what he's promised he will do in her life, Mary magnifies God, and she, she's helping us see how great he is and the great things he's able to do, and, she's, and she does this by offering up joyfully praise, joyful praise, which leads me to the next point. When we, when we have joy in God, there will always be evidence of it. John, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, leaped for joy, um, again, miraculously, um, I don't know the last time you leaped for joy is, was. I don't typically leap for joy. Sometimes when the Packers win a close game, maybe I will leap for joy. I broke my glasses doing that two years ago. Um, but that's not my typical response uh, when something good happens in my life. <laughs> we all have different ways of expressing joy. And there should be evidence in our lives of this joy. And I, as Christians, we should always have evidence of joy in our lives. And chances are, if, you, if I asked you to think of who the most godly person in your life is, or maybe several of the most godly people in your lives, one of the characteristics of their lives that you admire so much is the joy that they have in seemingly every circumstance, even the most trying of circumstances, seemingly impossible circumstances. Right? Impossible to us as humans because this is a supernatural joy 
It's given to us by the Holy Spirit. But these people that we admire, their faith is very real. We admire the joy that they have as they walk through cancer, as they walk through the loss of a loved one, as they, lost, as they walk through the loss of a relationship, whatever that might be. And finally, to that point, we magnify God when we communicate to the world around us that it is He who gives us the joy. There's some people who, they look really joyful. We might characterize them as joyful people, but they're never talking to us about God. Um, This is the difference between a very real, supernatural joy and the joy that we see should be characteristic of the Christian. Mary's not just talking about how happy she is. She is being very specific about who it is that's giving her joy, and it is God. We magnify God when we let the world know that he is the joy giver. This is why it's so powerful when we see someone suffering in the hospital praising God. It testifies to the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of God. So as we wrap up today, uh, there are two questions that I want to leave you with, and they're probably pretty obvious by now. The first one is, are you magnifying God? Are you seeking to make much of yourself or much of, of God? Much of yourself at work, church, your neighborhood, etc. Or are you seeking with your life to make much of God? We were created to magnify this God and make much of them. And remember, this requires humility. As John the Baptist later on in his ministry says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And how will this be evident that we are living lives seeking to make God known? to appear great, known as great, our mouths will be filled with God's praises. As we are filled with God's Holy Spirit, as we address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as we speak of God's goodness, making melody to the Lord in our hearts, we will also bear the fruit of the Spirit and walk in obedience to God, thereby showing what God is like. We don't just make God known with our words, but also just the way that we live. Does the way that we live reflect what God is like? Or is it hindering other people from knowing what God is like? Are our lives marked with mercy? Are we known as gracious people, as kind people, as patient people? Or are we communicating something else about who God is? So when we do that, we're not making God known as great. We're sending a different message. Okay? We need to be magnifying God. So are you doing that with your life? Secondly, Are you finding your joy in God? Or are you settling for and seeking lesser joys in the things of this world? Have you become intoxicated by the things of this world? Or are you coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit? We need to ask God to fill us with His Spirit, just as He filled Elizabeth, just as He filled John, just as He filled Mary. Now let me add this. It's not my intention to sound callous to those who might be walking through a different or a difficult season like we all will in life. Christmas can be really difficult. For some of us, this time of year, um, as soon as Thanksgiving is done, we're watching Elf, we're, we're playing the Christmas music, and it's a really fun 30 days. But for some people, Christmas can be a really hard time because of loss, because Christmas time around the dinner table is going to look different. Um, because of different ways we can suffer. It's hard for some people. And so I 
I, I don't um, like. I don't want to offend anybody by saying, just be joyful. I want to do so by reminding us, encouraging you, reminding you of the hope that we do have in God. Just like Mary, when Mary received this promise from God, she considered it done. We know that our God, who makes promises, who has promised to save us and redeem us, um, we know that he's going to. We know that there's going to come a day when God is going to return, when Jesus is going to return, and he, he's going to make all things new. He's going to wipe every tear from our eye. There will be no more sickness, no more hospitals, no more cemeteries. He's going to make all things new. And for us as Christians today, the recipients of these promises, we can count those things as done. Okay? We don't have to wonder if, hope if, hope for them to come true. We know we do hope for them, but we do so with firmly believing that they're going to come true, right? Because we know that our God delights in making promises and in keeping them, and he never changes, his word never changes. So we receive these promises and believe them to be done. And I'll finish with this, okay? Um, some of you are familiar with this. Again, my youth students are in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think that if you ask Mary, Mary might say, to magnify God and rejoice in him forever. Right? Those are the, those, her, her words here. That's our purpose in life, is to magnify God and to rejoice in him forever. To glorify him and to enjoy him. And those things are not mutually exclusive we magnify God by rejoicing in him as well, proclaiming to the world, letting the world know that he is the joy giver. We magnify God by delighting. Okay? So may that be true of us um, as, we, as we worship today, as we move on. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we praise you because, as David said in Psalm 33 that we read this morning, God, we have tasted and seen that you are good. Mary did as well, and she magnified and rejoiced in your name. She remembered your benefits, your steadfast love and your mercy. She remembered your might, your power, on display in rescuing and re redeeming us. And God, she counted all your promises as done because she knew you were faithful. So God, I pray that you would help us to trust in you in every season. Help us to know that your word is true. The word is eternal. For you, God, you are true. You're eternal. You're unchanging. And Father, finally, I pray that if there is anyone here who's not made that same confession that Elizabeth made or Mary made, that every Christian makes, that Jesus is Lord God, I pray that today they would turn from their sin and place their trust in Jesus. God, let no one go today without knowing your mercy. God, I pray that you would please grant us your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might live lives to your praise, to your glory. We might find joy in Christ complete. We pray all this in Jesus' name.